0: You have to really get in there and be a strategic advisor and a guide. And you got to be willing to go all in and do it again. And So that's where we are today. We're adding brands to our portfolio. We're investing time, money, energy, resources into building enterprise value in a compressed timeframe.
1: Welcome to the I Fired My Boss franchise podcast. My name is Dan Claps founder and CEO of Franchise Playbook, a franchisor platform where we create, own, and operate dynamic franchise brands in the mobile services space. My life's goal is to help people just like you fire their boss and become a business owner. And I'm Christian Dadalak, top franchise consultant and co-founder of Real Franchising, a leading franchise consulting firm. And together, we're on a mission to help people fire their boss, hire themselves, and live the American dream through franchise ownership. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the "I Fired My Boss" podcast with Dan Claps and Christian Datalac. Got a special guest today: the man, the myth, the legend, Jeff Hur, who, before he jumps in, uh, has become a personal friend to me over the past a uh, little over a year. We've been chit-chatted back and forth. And you really share a lot of similar uh, thoughts on franchising. And i uh, really fortunate to have become friends and get to know Jeff, who is someone that, as you get to know, you learn more and more about every month. Um, Jeff started the really the most successful and maybe the first franchise sales organization called St. Gregory Group. He really, in, in a lot of ways, spearheaded the type of um, acquisition strategy that actually we use at franchise playbook with Voda with what he originally did with uh, with a great brand called Cycle Bars and has really been the grandfather not that he's old but the grandfather to a lot of franchising uh, you know developments and people kind of I've learned have learned you know taken what he's done and grown from it and expanded upon it but um, just someone that is innovative and disruptive as, as an entrepreneur so really excited to introduce Jeff. Her, how you doing, Jeff?
0: What's up, boys? Love being on here as the as the grandfather in the room.
1: <laughs> I realized as I said that you know you <laughs> you I, I know it's just your 50th, but you look 38. I appreciate so. <laughs> that.
0: I appreciate that. Yeah, I just turned 50 in August. Kind of, I'm still getting used to. it. I guess it. you
1: could have been the father. Yes,
0: that might be a little bit better. It's all good, man. <laughs> the Godfather. Oh, it's good to be here with you, boys. Godfather, yeah, Godfather's probably, the Godfather. a little bit better. yeah, I like that that sounds nice and intimidating too. <laughs> <sighs> yeah no, man, it's awesome yeah, man one. should we get it hey, I appreciate it, no, yeah, it's been really good watching your journey with Voda um you know obviously we we even met before you even decided to kind of even jump into that category, and I think it's really amazing what you've been able to do over the last you know what has it been a year is it is it the one year anniversary yet? A little bit over, maybe? I don't even know. Yeah, we
1: just hit the one-year anniversary. I mean, yep.
0: I mean, that's incredible, man. Um, I mean, that's what it's about, right? its I mean, it's all about the journey. I mean, it's, that's, it's, it's really trying to enjoy each day in this world. I mean, we've all gotten into franchising in different ways. I think that everybody that I've ever talked to that uh, is in the franchising world, everybody found their way into it, almost like you've kind of backed your way into it. And once you get in it,
1: you never leave.
0: Like I I don't, I don't really, I can't really recall, maybe one or two people tops that have have exited the entire franchising industry. And I mean, I, I, you know, I'm happy to kind of, kind of share what you know my journey's been like. But I went through a process of exiting um, multiple times and thought hey i might i might i might just retire but then i was like okay i'm i'm 48 years old or i mean the first exit that i had i was 45 years old so it's like too young man and once again i mean it's it's just awesome i mean like going to conferences and being around friends that i've had for a year or 5 years or 10 years or 15 years some of which are like quasi-competitors to what I do, right? And the fact that, like, you can have friends that are your competitors, like, that's just awesome. Like, that's, that's really what it's really all about for me. But, um, yeah, I got into franchising in 2004 or 5. Yeah, 4 or 5. But I got in as a um, – what they call as an area representative now. Um, back then it was an area developer, but now area developer just means multi-unit franchisee. But um, it was in the income tax space, kind of like a H&R Block competitor. And it's, it's interesting too, because one of the partners uh, of my firm now um, was in a competing income tax franchise brand as an area representative as well. And it's kind of interesting how we've all kind of come full circle in the last almost 20 years. But... What uh, what was really interesting was I knew some I knew a couple guys that were franchisees in this system, and I live in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, this system actually started in Cincinnati. and so I had a couple buddies that were franchisees, and uh, they really liked it. I mean they had they had other gigs. That was kind of the neat thing about the income tax business was now they call it like a side hustle, but it was kind of a side hustle business because. You're really open four months a year, and eighty percent of your business you would do in thirty days a year. And there was some stuff to do in the off season, but for the most part, if you were a franchisee, you could you could open these pretty quickly because I mean you didn't need a lot of space. It wasn't a it wasn't a challenging build out, um, and you weren't going to really get rich with owning one of these, but because it was so low cost the majority of the franchisees in this system had 3 4 5 of these and yeah when you look at it on an annual basis maybe a store could make say $50,000 but when you kind of truncate that down to like 80% of that money you're making in like 30 days and 99% of it you're making in 4 months and you could have three or four of those and you could still have you could still have your career and so like you know, it just kind of made sense and so um, I had talked to the franchisor when my buddies were doing this, but I had a lot of other businesses going on, not in the franchise space and kind of just owning a tax or just that did not seem that interesting to me. But what happened was the franchisor went to a multi-unit conference. Um, and this was like, I mean, this was like 18, 19, 20 years ago. And that's where he learned about area development, which is now like area representation, the idea of kind of sub-franchising your brand. I mean, that's how Subway grew. That's how Orange Theory grew. That's how Massage Envy grew. It was, that was a pretty popular model back then. And so what he did was, is he came back to the most successful franchisees that he had in the system and said, hey, look, in addition to being a franchisee, would you have interest in being an area representative? Um, and so a couple of my buddies came to me and said, Hey man, this, this seems pretty interesting. Uh, we're already in the system. We're having some success. Now they're kind of opening up the opportunity where you could like buy a state instead of a territory and you could sub franchise. So me and these two uh, knuckleheads, we go and meet with this franchisor and he just, you know, he starts rolling out the maps, you know, and as a dude, you start seeing these maps and you see what's available and your appetite's just like, I want it all, you know? And so we, uh, over over a couple of months, we, had, we ended up signing for way too much. We ended up collectively, man, I think we were in the three of us. So the three of us did three separate deals, okay? But we were good friends. So we had our own contracts. But what, we, what you decided to do was, We said, hey, let's share office space and let's get one admin and let's share best practices. So we each had our own business, but we could kind of like whiteboard out some stuff and we could, we could have you know, we could share one admin person versus each of us having our own, right? And we got to hang out together, which was kind of cool. And, you know, I had um, Orlando and Tampa, I had... Half of Chicago, I had Detroit, that's where I kind of grew up. Um, so i had I had pretty much almost all of Florida and um all of Michigan and like half you know half of Illinois. I had another buddy that had like Houston, uh Dallas, New York City. another one had um Atlanta and Nashville. so we had like all these we kind of had these big cities. so we go through the um process of like inking this deal. And right after we inked the deal, we go to the franchisor and we're like, okay, we're ready to go. We're your area developers. We're your area representatives. Like, where's the leads? Because the first thing you got to do is you got you to onboard new franchisees. And this guy was just like, I don't, I don't know where to find leads. Like, he had built his system. He had about 200 locations open at this point, And he had built that system through friends and family um, he actually started it with he because he was he was a pretty big player in the Cincinnati market before he started franchising it, he had like 31 locations himself. And so when he started franchising, he just he reached out to any single person that his company had done a tax return for that made over a hundred thousand dollars. So that was kind of how he built the thing. So now that we're area developers, we're like, what do you mean there's no leads? And so here's the other thing that's a that's kind of a, a nuance about about income tax franchising is every single store has to open on January, the first, like January 2nd or January 3rd. So if you're a normal business, as you guys onboard new franchisees, you take them through training and they open, right? And you can do that throughout the entire year. If it's a brick and mortar business and you want to open 100 locations in a year, you're not going to open all 100 on the same day, Right. Because you're gonna, you're, what you're gonna do is you're gonna kind of like, eight a month, eight a month for twelve months. Boom, there's your ninety six location. Well, this is different. This is different because they have to open on that day, and so there has to be a cutoff period, and the cutoff period would be October thirty first. So if you didn't have a new franchisee signed up by October thirty first, they would shut franchise sales down till June of the next year. Okay, and so. And that was because even if they'd signed like on October 31st, you had to hustle really hard because we had to, we had to recruit franchisees, take them through that process. Then we had to help them source a local broker to find real estate, a local contractor to build it out. We had to help them find their uh, manager. We had to help them train. So our deal with the franchisor was we had to really do all the legwork on the front end. And then once the location opened during tax season, the franchisor did about 90% of the work. So they would take 90% of the support calls during the season and we would just take 10% um, of the calls. So anyways, so we do this deal with this guy. It's in May and we are like, where are the leads? There's no leads. And we have only until October to get through it. Now, keep in mind, the three of us collectively together signed up to do 500 stores in five years. That was our development schedule okay no big deal. which we did no well i had no there was no reference point point, man. and i'm in my early 30s and i'm just ready to run like a deer kind of like kind of like dan right and so and i was willing to do whatever it took and so I prefer a buck young buck you're a young buck all right <laughs> um so so we started out with like portals right like a franchise gator because the guy was just like we don't have you know i I don't know where to find leads and we're like okay the three of us collectively we have to open up a we have to basically open up 100 stores in january and it's it's june so we started getting some lead flow and i actually think we did close a few deals but but by the end of july we're we're like kind of panicking right and we were like we need to change this up because this is this is not going to work. We we basically have August, September, and October, and there's no way that we're going to hit our development schedule with like with portal leads. There's just no way. So,
1: the 500 stores was over what period of time?
0: 100 stores a year for five years. Now that was collectively for. The, remember, we did three separate deals. So, but I'm saying between the three of us collectively, it was 100 stores a year uh, for five years. So. I'll never forget, man, we were just sitting in our office and we, we just said, we're not going home until we come up with an idea. And like, where, where are we going to find leads? And we had capital, but like the portal stuff, like just spending more money on portals wasn't going to get it done, right? And so we, but we had capital and we pulled, we had, we had pooled together about $400,000 that we were willing to take a massive run at, um, as long as we came up with a good idea. So the idea that we came up with, cause we started thinking about, okay. The deals that we had done up until that point, what's what's that avatar look like? Are there any similarities between the franchisees? And what we were finding was it was typically a, a, a male and somebody between like 30 and 50 that had, they were making six figures, typically like in sales. They kind of wanted a, a seasonal business that wasn't capital intensive. and. So we just kind of started thinking about, okay, we need guy. We were trying to target this type of avatar, you know, 30 to 50 year old male, um, making six figures, doesn't want to quit their job, but pretty sharp. And so we said, where can we find this type of person? And it wasn't me, but one of the, one of my two, uh, one of my two buddies that we kind of were doing this together with said, you know, ESPN radio would be a great spot. Now you got to remember, this is almost 20 years ago. Now, if you listen to ESPN radio right now, there's probably 20 different franchisors spending money to find candidates through ESPN radio, right? At this point in the history, ESPN radio had never been used one time by a franchisor to find, to try to find candidates, right? So we reached out to, so that's all like syndicated anyways, right? So who, we, we found out whoever the national company that had like the most amount of, or that had him in like our markets, we picked six cities. And it was like Clear Channel or somebody that, that had the ESPN radio stations that feed in the markets that we wanted to, to advertise in. So we, we, we get this gal and she's like our rep. And she's just not, it's not computing. We're like, look, we want to advertise a franchise. Like nobody, she had never gotten that request from anybody before. And so she was like, all right, well, here's what you got to do. You got to, you know, come up with a 30 second spot. You have to, you know, tell them what your business is and where you want to drive it. So so then now we got the rep. So now we go in and we we wanted to get creative and we realized like, we can't, nobody's going to be excited if you go on ESPN radio and say, do you want to buy a tax franchise? Like nobody's going to get excited about that. So what we did was, but it was a lifestyle business. It really was for the franchisees that we had in the system um, that we had recruited thus far. Like it was a lifestyle business. That's what it is when it's seasonal and um, you didn't have to quit your job. And so we really kind of talked about the lifestyle piece of the business and who, the existing franchisees that had kind of come on board. Like what was the common thread? And It was pretty cool, man. It was good. We, we, we created a website. It's called 1040 zone.com. And as soon as you logged onto the website, it was a guy swinging a It was swinging a golf club. Right. So we were trying to tie in this idea that you can own a business, but still have the lifestyle that you want. And so we go to this gal and we're like, this is our commercial. And she goes, what's the, where's the disclaimer? And we're like, what's a disclaimer? We didn't, we didn't even know what that meant. She's like, have you even <laughs> showed this to the franchisor? Like, they have to sign off on this. We're like, oh my God. So we go to the franchisor and they come up with a nine-second disclaimer for a 30-second commercial. That's like 30% of the time, right? You can't, you can't talk about a lifestyle business franchise opportunity in 21 seconds. So... We go back to the gallon. we're like, okay, if we, we're going to make 60 second commercials and now we're going to make it even longer and we can really, now we can really kind of dive in a little bit. And so we had this 60 second commercial, nine seconds of which was the disclaimer, 51 seconds to kind of tell our story. We had the budget. We had, we built this landing page slash website that we were going to direct people from the commercial to go to this thing. Um... We had set up Fran Connect to handle if we got any leads going all the all automatically in, and we could start like a email campaign with. And we're just like, if we get any leads off this thing or whatever we get, like we're just going to start pounding the phones, right, and just start engaging with people. And so we 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 go to her and we're like, okay, these are our six markets, and she puts together this plan over thirty days, right? But we're we're running out of time. We only. We're like, we need to get, we need to spend a lot of money in a short period of time to try to maximize frequency and get as much lead flow as we possibly can. And so what ended up happening was she came back and she goes, okay, here's a two week plan. And it was like, wow, man, we are really getting some serious frequency. So we ended up chopping it all the way down to four days. So we spent $400,000 in four days in six different markets. Guys, th- this this was insane. We start launching now. You, you get, so if you're wa- if you're listening to ESPN Radio, right? Let's say you're listening to Dan Patrick Show, and let's say that uh, they take a commercial break, right? And there's usually four or five minutes of a commercial break. We have a sixty second commercial. In these four days, in these six markets, with the investment that we made. When they would take a break, we would be four out of the five minutes of the break. The commercial would run, and as soon as it would, was done, it would run again. It would run again, and it would run again, and again. We got tens of thousands of leads in four days. And then we were like, you. what
1: are we going to do with this? Like, You can't pick up the phone and call 10,000 people. <laughs> If you'd like our help investing in a franchise at no cost to you, head over to i Podcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a free consultation but I just for our listeners like, how did you know I mean I, I don't know if you could have known, but how did you guys take a calculated risk like you know what I mean you're like we're going to spend 10, you know this much money on the hope that it works where there's stats like Obviously it was a leap of faith but how did you guys know they would work So we
0: had so well first of all we had done probably about 10 deals through the portals right So we had some cash flow come in there and we were just willing to reinvest 100% of all the cash flow because we got to get 100 stores open We're now at the end of July we can only, we have to cut off bringing on any new franchisees on October 31st and then still get them open otherwise we're already in breach of of, of our development schedule. So there was just like, there's no fail here. Like, it's just, we're going all in. Now we did have data around the fact that um, the average franchisee in the system was buying three to four territories. Right. So we didn't have to ha- find a hundred franchisees. We kind of thought about it like, if we can find 30 to 35 franchisees, that'll give us hundred stores. And it's not like a, a normal concept where if you buy a three pack, you can open them up over three years. Like if you buy a three pack, you're you have to get all these stores open. But it was not a very it, first of all, it's not a very complicated build out at all, right? It's almost like a an office type environment. Real estate was very plentiful back then. Um, you know, franchisees are only signing like three year leases. I mean, it was just the real estate part was. Now I know how challenging real estate can be. Um, but, but this was, we, so we had data points around how many, how many stores the average franchisee in this system had. And we had had a little success in getting about 10 deals done in the first like 60 days, but we're like, we got to really ramp this up. So, so it just, it just hit. I mean, But we had all of these candidates and we're like, we have to be able to reach out to these people very, very quickly. And there's no way that we can just call these people. I mean, it was literally probably like 30,000 leads in four days. It was, I mean, it was, it was, it was unbelievable. And so, um, we had found there was a go-to meeting had been around for a while, but the problem with GoToMeeting is it back then it capped out at like 20 people on a call. But they had just literally they had just come out with GoToWebinar. And with GoToWebinar, you could have a thousand people. And so we were like, okay, we're just gonna do webinars like 24-7 on this thing. Because with Frank Connect, we could send out an email invite to this entire database multiple times throughout the day. And they could come to a live webinar to learn about the brand, and then after that, we we would say, "Hey, if you want to, if you want to, kind of keep going, um, we need a little app, a little application from you." And then we'd walk them through the unit economics. We just created a really great sales process, and so we were just running nonstop webinars. Um, we we were running nonstop webinars, like literally, like I think sixteen hours a day. And then we would get a ton of candidates together, and then we would like fly out and like get a room and bring them all in, and then just ink deals. And so it, it worked. The first year, I think we did, we opened 150 stores, and our development schedule was 100. And we had awarded we had we had some people that did buy. Some people would buy like six, seven, eight territories, and they would get as many of them as they could open. Um, but some of them they could do a development schedule and kind of push them down to the, like the next year, but still protect their territory um, and so yeah man it 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 really worked, and what was interesting too, is is you, you remember like I, I mentioned that the franchisor would do most of the support. During the um, during the tax season, so we didn't really have much to do. Their fiscal year was over after the tax year, so they would go. They would have to get their auditeds in, then they'd file, and so we'd be back live in June. And so, what we wanted to do was we wanted to learn more about franchising because the franchisor, you know, he didn't really help us. He didn't really help us very much at all. But we wanted to learn more. We wanted to sharpen the axe. So we ended up going to, um, we ended up going to IFA because IFA is like in February, this is during tax season, but during tax season, we didn't have much to do. And we were just like, let's go, let's, let's go educate ourselves. Let's go see if we can meet some people, start networking and just kind of see what happens. The, the, the sole purpose of that trip was for us to learn how to become better area developers and to learn more about the franchise system, how to support people and all that stuff. So what was a little bit what was a little bit uneasy for us was it was so overwhelming. IFA was so overwhelming. I mean, we we had just gotten into this, we felt like we had a little success and um but we didn't know anything. And like I remember looking at the curriculum, like the, you know, kind of like the offerings, the breakout session offerings, and literally not understanding anything that they're talking about. I'm talking about like the title name of the breakout session. I'm like, I don't even know what this is about. So it's like, it was for somebody like me or for somebody that was anybody that was new to franchising that went out there at that time, it, it, was, it was really over people's heads, man. I mean, obviously there's a lot of mature brands that would go there, but the majority of the people, even today, the majority of people that go to IFA are people that are emerging franchisors. They're looking to, they're looking to network. They're looking to find vendors or agencies or partners or learn how to learn how to, how to build their brand. And so we were, it was, it was overwhelming and, um, but it was it was really, really interesting. We went to when you're a first timer at IFA, you get to go to this like first timer mixer like the night before the conference begins. And so we go to this first- time mixer, man, and we're meeting like every single person there, like these are all emerging brands that they had like one franchisee or three franchisees and we were all just kind of talking about like hey what breakout sessions are you going to go to? We were all kind of talking about like how confusing it all seemed. And that was kind of our big takeaway from that first IFA was like there's nobody helping the little guy here. There's nobody helping the emerging brand. There's not real content for people. There's no franchising 101. And so we got right back into business um you know, after that, we started mount our, you know, putting together our marketing plan to go into year two for tax season. Um, that second year, I think we opened like 400 locations. We ended up opening 1,000 locations in three years, and our development schedule was 500 over five. And so we kind of knocked that out of the park. But the, the next time that we went back to IFA, we went back and we said, let's, we had, we had a really nicely developed sales process after two years um, um, of of doing the area development thing. And we said, let's go see. We've got downtime once the tax season starts every year. Let's go see if we can find some people that we can help with a sales process, right? And help help them build that. And so we did. So the second year we went out to IFA, we just got a ton of business cards. We started reaching out to these folks, telling them our story, And saying, Hey, we think we can consult with you to help you develop a great sales process and with engaging content and, um, and show you how to show you how to do it. And it was, it was really awesome because every single person we reached out to was like, yes, now we weren't getting rich on this. We were just trying to build relationships. And this was a way of us learning more about franchising, how to help people, um, It was, it was, but it was, you know, we were only signing people up for like 30, 60 or 90 day consulting contracts because we had to get back to the tax season, you know, every single year. Um, And so um, after the third year, so now we're starting to go into like, I don't know, it's like 2008, 2009. And that's when, you know, there was big financial trouble across the United States and the world at that point. And, I don't need to really kind of get into like how the tax industry works, but it is actually like when you get a tax refund, it's like a loan. And so that industry was having, there was there was a lot of pressure on that industry in general around around that, that finance part of a tax refund. And so we were like, all right. But at this time we had already worked with probably like 15 to 20 different franchisors. And we kind of had this idea of in addition to being our area developers, because we kind of, I mean, we pretty much sold out all the dirt that we had anyways. So now it's just like helping them get open and, 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 I mean, if they called here or there, but like the sales part, we already kind of hit that piece out of the park. So we're like, let's start helping, let's kind of take this emerging franchisor piece a little bit deeper, right? And let's kind of ask them if they want us to, to, to manage their sales for them. So instead of teaching the man to fish, just being the fisherman. And so we we picked three of the brands um, that we had done some work for, and said, "Hey, would you like to outsource your sales to us?" And they said, "Yeah." So this was this was a, actually like pretty much a year before we actually put a an entity and a name around this. We ended up calling it St. Gregory Development Group. Um, but we before we even kind of came up with that name and really kind of had that business. We just started doing some outsourced sales for some of these emerging brands and it just kind of took off. And so then we started St. Gregory and I mean, it, it, it just, everything just was clicking. And we, we started, um, we started having a lot of success and, but what, ha- what did what ended up happening was, as we had success doing the outsourced sales function for these emerging brands as they started to scale they had additional needs above and beyond just sales they they needed to level up their website right so they needed web development they couldn't i remember man we had one brand it was it was it was it was, it was everything was moving so fast that the legal team that they had it would take. We were doing addendums back then. I mean, uh, to you know, to, we were doing addendums to franchise agreements back then, and it was taking their legal team like three months to get an addendum back. So we just said, hey, we're going to open up a compliance department and we'll handle that because we wanted to do things that would make you know, protect the sales process. We. Uh,
1: so you're saying that people were ready to, almost ready to buy. There was some type of addendum. And then the law firm working for the franchisor that you're representing would hold it up.
0: They would hold it up, yeah. Because, yeah, it was taking like three months for them to do an addendum. That's crazy. Um, But this was a brand where we were onboarding, we're onboarding 15 franchisees a month, man. So, I mean, it was just like, they just got overwhelmed. So we just started, you know, we started a legal department. We started a compliance department. We had marketing and branding and real estate and construction and web development and obviously like sales. So organically, I mean, we're kind of fast forwarding the time frame here, right? We didn't build all that in a year, but by 2013, we had about a hundred employees. Um, we were working with, I don't know, 10 brands by then. Um, we were awarding 1500 franchises a year. Um, and we just kind of built like naturally and organically we kind of built the r- really kind of the first full blown franchise development company in the United States um and so then we said hey we've got everything in place here let's let's keep doing what we're doing which was you know very client focused right these brands were our clients right and we're providing we could provide as many of these different service lines as they needed. But we said, okay, let's keep doing that. But in addition to that, if we've got this awesome engine, let's start developing our own brands. We'll be the franchisor as well. And so, so that's what we did. Um, we, we, we had three of our own brands that we were franchising. We were the franchisor behind then we had, you know, we always had at this point, probably had 12, 13 brands on the on just the like the franchise sales organization side, but also doing other services for them as well. And one of the brands that we had uh one of the brands that we had had launched in 2014 that, that we were the franchisor of, it really just kind of took off. It, it took off pretty, pretty good, pretty fast. And we put out this uh we We waited until we had awarded 200 units, which we did in like six months from launch. And we wanted to wait and put out a big press release to make a big splash. Because there was was just some other, there were some other non-franchise companies in this space that had kind of created a lot of opportunity for us to kind of slingshot this thing. So what ended up happening was, we had this investment banker reach out to us in uh, 2016 and said, Hey, you know, I think that this brand and by that from we launched it in 2014. By 2016, we I think we had hundred locations open. We were opening seven, eight locations a month. Um, it had a real nice trajectory. And we said, and this investment banker said, Hey man, there's there might be a real opportunity for for you to run a process here on this brand and uh, take it through an exit. And so that's that's what we did. We we, we met with them, um, put everything together over about a sixty to ninety day period of time, and uh, and we and we took that brand to market. And so I started meeting with private equity companies, um, pretty much nonstop for like the next hundred and twenty days. And what happened was is as we as we started kind of you know. We we realized there were certain private equity companies that you know, we really kind of felt like kind of saw our vision. We were gonna be involved in the business afterwards. Um and so as they started to kind of come in and and meet with me face to face, they would they would all say the same thing. They're like, How did you how are you able to get to this point this quickly? Right. And so we just kind of I, I told them our story I told them what we all the franchise companies that we had worked with we had all these employees we had built this awesome engine so for us to develop our you know our own brand um it, it just made sense and so one after another they all wanted this brand but then they wanted the engine too right and so all of a sudden they're like we want to buy we want to buy everything we had so between brands and service companies for franchisors, we had a total of 23 different companies. And every one of them was like, we want it all. We want the whole deal. We don't want just that brand. We want that brand and the whole, we want the whole kit and caboodle. And that was a pretty hardcore decision to make. Um, but we decided to move forward with it because we felt like we had, we had the right um, private equity company um, this was this is a, a a true blue chip private equity company globally.
1: So, Jeff, just to clarify, you had this these brands, you had this this monster brand that was the the lead in the the anchor of what they wanted to acquire, right? But then they said, you know, not only has this brand grown quickly and will continue to do so because of the engine you built with with Saint Gregory, but future brands, I assume. Could grow through that, so they wanted not only the brand but the engine. That's right. So it was like they were buying, they bought the brand, and then they bought the engine to continue to grow that brand and future brands because that's what you went on. That's today, exactly right? right. Went on to build many. That's brands.
0: exactly right. That was the thesis. They're like, wow, if you can do this with this one brand in two years, like, what happens if we give you an open checkbook? Let's go out and buy some brands, right? And let's plug them into the same engine. Let's rinse and repeat. And so. We went through that process, um, and that was uh, September of September of 2017. So we sold all 23 companies um, to a, a, a true like global powerhouse private equity company. And um, at that point, we said they had come to us and said, "Hey, um, let's start a fund. Let's start a fund, and let's um, let's go buy some brands." And let's go to town. And I looked at that opportunity and said, okay, this is different than some people sell their company and then they, they have to stay engaged on that company. But this, their pitch to me was, we're going to teach you private equity. And we're going to teach you the process of investing in brands and building out a platform and... Real scale management, and I looked at that and I was like, "That that seems really interesting to me." And that was something that, like, once again, you can't just read a book on that, right? You need a real, you need a real, you need real mentors. Um, but we put a ton of the capital that we had um, just made from selling all these businesses back into this fund. So we were, we were one of, we were the third largest investor into this fund, but we started this fund with $200 million and over the next, I don't know, year and a half, went out and bought eight brands and put them, put together a platform. You know, a lot of, a lot of different companies today, um, are kind of doing the platform thing, whether it's home services or whatever. We were really kind of one of the first people to kind of put this together on the non-food side of things. And just went out and tore it up, and we ended up uh, we ended up rolling up the boutique fitness industry, and we spun this entity out of out of the fund and took it public in July of 2021. And so that for that was kind of that was the final end of my Saint Gregory development journey. Um, and I had learned how to be an area representative. I had learned how to build a full-service franchise development company from scratch, really the first one to do so. Um, I had learned how to be a franchisor. Now I had learned, uh, now I'd spent two and a half, three years on the, the private equity side of things. And I just kind of felt like, man, like I think that there's a gap in the marketplace today right? There are a lot of franchise sales organizations that are out there, right? And a lot of them are my my good friends and they, they do good work and, but they are what they are. They are an FSO. They're a franchise sales organization, right? They are there to assist emerging brands in their growth, in the the growth of their business. I mean, without a doubt. Um, But they're not in it for they're not in it to necessarily like get in the trenches with the founders and help them operate a business. Now, I'm not saying they're not bad because they don't do that. That's just not their offering, right? They're they're a franchise sales organization. That's what they do. That's what they signed up to do. And they're going to probably be engaged with a brand for a couple of years and then and then the brand will take a lot of that stuff in house and they'll move on to the next brand. I mean, that's that's kind of the model. And that's a model I mean that's a model that I kind of invented, to some extent, right, and played a big role in. But the reality is, is that what you're really and we we want to all be brand builders, right? It's not about awarding franchises or selling territories. It's about building enterprise value. It is about building brand value. If you if you look at a mature company and you look at their balance sheet. You're, you should see that like 30% of the company's value is intangible assets. That's the marks, right? That's, that's what they call goodwill. It's the value of the brand itself. And that's awesome, right? And that's where, so I decided um, in late 2021 to open up a family office Called Front Street Equity Partners, and I went to some really smart people that I know and asked them to partner with me on this, but to do something quite different. We want to invest time, money, and energy into building enterprise value. We know we 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 know how to do it. Um, we have the recipe to do it, and we want to be in the trenches with these brands. I mean, I could have I could have just. I could have easily started like another FSO and it would have been a walk in the park and could have gone out and done the same thing again. But but what I realized with my time and learning from this blue chip private equity company was, man, it's all about building equity, building enterprise value. And you you got to you have to really get in there and be a strategic advisor and a guide, and you got to be willing to go all in and do it again. And so that's where we are today. We're adding brands to our portfolio. We're investing time, money, energy, resources into building enterprise value in a compressed time frame. And we're pretty excited because we, we feel like we're filling a gap that emerging brands need. They don't just need sales. There, there is a component of that, and so we do have a franchise development, what we call pillar, as part of our firm. Um, but we also have other, uh, other pillars as well. and it's really about we're, we're long-term players with every brand that we invest with. This is about going through the journey together all the way through an exit. So I love it, man That's my journey line, man. That's, uh, that's the, like the last 18 years of my life in the world of franchising. But you know, over... Over the last 40 years or over the last, not 40 years, over the last 18 years, um, myself and my partners have collectively built almost somewhere between 40 and 50 different brands, um, over 10,000 territories, locations across those brands. And now we just, you know, we think there's a better way.
1: I love it, man. So, so Jeff, before we wrap up here, I I had one question I wanted to ask. So. What is the criteria you're looking for at Front Street before you acquire a franchise to really partner with? Like, What are you looking for in a brand before you're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's link arms. Let's make it happen together. What are you looking for?
0: Yeah. So what's really important for us is we, we think about when we look at a brand, we want to we see that there's something more to it than what meets the eye. I'll give you an example, like we, we invested in a business, um, last year that makes soap It makes soap and they have retail locations. Right. And so at first glance, you know, when we started with this company, um, the founder had about 10 corporate locations and there was about 10 franchise locations. Right. And so what meets the eye is this is a retail soap company, Right what we found was there's something a lot bigger here. And, and, and what we thought was, hey, if, if we can get those 25 stores, let's just say we get to 100 stores. That's 4Xing the business. If we do that in three years, that in itself is growing the enterprise value in a compressed timeframe. That's pretty interesting, right? What was more interesting, though, was she was doing about $150,000 a month in direct-to-consumer business. And that direct consumer business was like 70% net margin. And we were like, okay, let's, let's do the store thing. And let's, let's go out into the communities and let's, let's be this retail soap company. But if we can grow that $2 million a year direct consumer business to $20 million in the same three years that we're adding the stores, that's a lot more interesting. And so in one year, we've doubled the amount of, we're, we're on a, right now we're up to about $350,000 a month in direct consumer business. And that was $150,000 a month just one year ago. Now, in addition to that, she had about 300 wholesale accounts where other stores, right, mainly mom and pop boutiques, were selling her products in their stores. And we said, okay, okay. If we've got, if we can get the store count from 25 to 100 or 150, we get direct consumer from 2 million to 20 million, and get get wholesale accounts from 300 to 3,000. You look at that as an omni-channel opportunity. Now that was like this. this, We can absolutely let's go all in on this thing. Let's get in the trenches on this thing. You're
1: fired. If you want to say those words to your boss. Make sure you head on over to I Podcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a no-cost consultation. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend who might also want to fire their boss.